Yo, 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 what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Earn Your Good Day podcast, where we have a fundamental belief that people are stronger, more resilient, and far more capable of things than they believe in or have ever been told are possible. I'm your host, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only, the Iron Man, and the dietitian, Zach Kanadi. Guys, thank you so much for being here today, for listening to the episode, and for following along for almost two years now, guys. We're just a couple episodes away from the two-year mark, and we are actually just a couple weeks from the er, 100 episode mark that's what i was looking for uh so we are coming up uh, close to that really quick here it has been honestly i can't believe it's been 100 episodes almost uh cool fun fact is that means we are in a top 10 percent of podcasting guys so if you're listening in you are listening to a top 10 percent podcast which is pretty freaking cool um anyways guys Today, we are going to be continuing our series that we have been on, going from energy metabolism, the basics of it, uh, types of food, things like that. Uh, last week, we talked about, or last week, we had Murph on. Uh, again, his show is coming up next week, uh, this coming Saturday. So if you guys don't know that, watch last week's episode. You guys will get all the information. And then, but the week before that, we talked about um, the uh, excuse me, glycolysis. And uh, prior to that, we talked about how to bulk like a mad scientist. Now this week, we're going to take all of that information and we're actually going to put it into uh, this week's episode, which I'll tell you guys in just a minute. Now, before we get into that though, I do have two quick, or really it's one ask and you can carry it. Oh my goodness, excuse me. Um, I have one ask that you guys can carry out one or two ways that is up to you and where you're at. You could also do both ways. That would be even better. Now, the ask is, is basically an exchange of value. So if I do a good job, right, if it's the show's interesting and thought provoking, it gives you a different perspective. It's something you haven't heard before. Maybe it's just something you have heard before, but it's in a new way, um, I'm funny. Sometimes every great once in a while, I do happen to crack a good joke. Most of them, though, I just kind of laugh at myself. And <laughs> everybody else is like, all right, there's Zach. Uh, or if really at the end of the day, you just think it is valuable information. I ask you guys do one of these two things. Number one, and this really I would care most about is that you take the information you learn in today's episode or any episode for that matter and you start using it in your everyday life as soon as you finish listening or watching the episode and i do really mean like you click off or i do the yo 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 and you hear like the outro music right then right there i need you to start using it and the reason being and it's not like oh yeah use it tomorrow or sometime this like no i mean as soon as possible is because guys we only truly understand things once we do them. We don't ever understand them if we just kind of have like that book knowledge of it or if we read about it or watched a video. Like, yeah, you might get it, right? Like you might have an understanding of it, but you don't truly understand. You don't truly know it until you've done it, okay? 
And that's a key thing in learning. You can't ever know something without having done something. All right. And uh, I want you guys to really take that from these episodes. But, you know, if it's not valuable, don't do that. Now, if you get here and you're like, Zach, I already know this. Uh, but I know somebody who maybe doesn't know this, or maybe they need a reminder, then I'm going to ask you to do option number two, which is going to be share the show. All right. And when you do this, you're going to be helping us fulfill the mission here at the Earn Your Good Day podcast, which is to build a community of like-minded individuals who are trying to create a better or solve the world's problems by first creating a better version of themselves. Guys, you all know this. No one is coming to save us. If we want a better life, it is up to us. It is up to you. It is up to me to save our own lives, to be the heroes of our own story. You are Superman if you believe it and if you follow through with the actions. You guys can do it. I know you can do it. That's why our belief is people are stronger, more resilient, and more capable of anything they've ever been told or thought is possible. Because you can do it, guys. You are the Superman of your own story. So share this information out with somebody so they can be reminded that they're the Superman of their own story. All right. And now, guys, you also could be a total savage a beast. And I would say a super fan if you did both of those things. All right. Now, I'm only asking you to do one. And it's only if the show is good. If it's not a good show, don't do any. Uh, if it's not a good show, though, then what I will ask you to do is send me a comment. Uh, you can either, I believe you can do that on Spotify. Otherwise, you can DM me at Kanati underscore fit, C-O-N-A-T-I underscore fit. Or you guys can send me an email at psychedupfitness at gmail.com. That'll be in the description for the spelling of that. Now, what in the world are we going to be talking about if... See, three weeks ago, we talked about bulking. And two weeks ago, we talked about glucose, glycolysis, and energy metabolism. And I yelled at you guys, telling you why vegetables are so important. And if you guys aren't eating your vegetables, frankly, shame on you. Um, even though it's winter, shame on you. And then last week, we talked about Murph. We took a little hiatus from the current series we were in. But this week, we're getting back in it. And what could we be talking about? Hmm. Why do another young Padawan? What could there be? It is causing me to go very deep into thoughts. Very, very deep into thoughts. Hmm. Well, I think it's obvious, guys. We're talking about cutting fat. All right. We're talking about leaning out. We're talking about getting ripped, shredded. Lean, mean, twisted steel, and sex appeal, and nothing but that, baby. Guys, we are talking about how to show off all of that work. After this week, frankly, you guys really should have a blueprint, uh, aside from how to train appropriately for how to bulk, how to add a crap ton of muscle, and then also how to cut and re reveal all of that muscle that we're going to show to the world. So, we're going to be covering a quite a bit today. I want to keep it kind of sh a little bit shorter and not go too crazy in depth uh, just because we have so much to cover. Uh, so first, we're going to start with beta oxidation, which is the biochemical process of burning fat. Then we're going to talk about 
uh, some of the ways to get into a caloric deficit and some ways that maybe I would or some ways that I would recommend that I think would make it a little bit more sustainable for everybody. Um, and really, guys, the big thing is I want you guys to learn how to lose fat without feeling like you have to starve yourself. And now there is unfortunately there is going to be some form of restriction in one way or another. But there's no reason that you should feel like you're starving yourself if you're just trying to lean out. Okay. And then really what we'll uh, start to do is we'll talk about how to get into that caloric deficit, uh, some ways you can modify your training to maintain the most muscle mass, as well as allow your body the greatest opportunity to lose fat. Uh, and then We'll also talk about the different restrictions that you guys will have to put yourselves in. And really what we'll spend a lot of our time on is some barriers that a lot of people come up with and how to overcome them. Because, and this, I'm just going to be straight up with it, guys. A lot of these are just straight up excuses. And if you really want to lean out, uh, you can do it. It's not about, uh, this is not an emotions thing. This is not something where they're going, generally not going to serve you well um, because your emotions are going to be very temporary and they're going to be highly dictated on the last time you ate uh, and, you know, how long you've been in a cut. Uh, I've coached people. Colin is a great example of this where uh, during when we first tested out his peak week protocol, uh, it actually, not granted, we did some crazy manipulation. This is an extreme example. So let me preface the story before that. Uh, but it definitely sent him for a loop. You know, I'm not going to get into any details of it, but it was, it was really tough on him. And it's because when you're in that, A, when your body fat gets that low and your caloric intake gets that low, it can really cause a detriment uh, and it can be a big stress on your body. So we're going to be talking about how to get over some of these things, uh, how to overcome the barriers. And then really, we're going to end on some more protocol-esque ways that we can lose fat without starving. Because I really want that to be the take-home message for you guys. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. First, I do want to start off with this discussion of calories in and calories out. And that's kind of going to be an overlaying theme of it, but I want to give you guys a little bit of more of a, mm, a better explanation before we get into all of this. So at the end of the day, uh, in a very, very reductionist viewpoint, everything comes down to calories in and calories out, uh, which is how many calories you eat versus how many calories you burn. And really when we're talking about this, what we're talking about is how much carbon are you getting into your body? How much carbon are you putting in your mouth? And then how much carbon are you breathing out? And that second part, that breathing out is really important because that is actually where the fat loss or the weight loss in general is going to occur from. So Anything we're talking about biochemistry or organic chemistry really is just the chemistry of carbon. Uh, if you guys remember two weeks ago when we talked about glycolysis, glucose is just a six carbon chain 
that's all it is. It's just a chain of six carbon and a carbohydrate just means it's carbon that's been hydrated, right? It's carbon with some water attached to it. And this week, what we're going to learn is that fats are essentially the same thing. They just tend to be a lot longer and they have one end that's a little bit different and they're stored a little bit differently than carbohydrates are. But at the end of the day, they're just varying lengths of carbon chains and they might be, you know, uh, fats get into saturated and unsaturated where carbs get really are just going into where's the oxygen on the carbohydrate molecule. But at the end of the day, it's all just carbon metabolism, right? What is the ratio between the carbon you're putting into your body and the carbon that you're breathing out? And this is really how all fat loss occurs, right? This is also why fat doesn't, you can't really spot reduce, <clears throat> right? You can't, you can spot grow muscles, but you can't spot reduce fat. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second here. Uh, but with calories in, calories out, now both sides of these are incredibly complex, right? So we talked about <clears throat> last week when I was yelling at you guys to eat your vegetables and the importance of it is because if we don't have the vitamins and minerals, we literally don't have the building blocks to burn energy, right? We literally we don't have the tools to create energy. If we don't have niacin or riboflavin, we don't have enough electron transport electron carriers to go to the electron transport chain to generate ATP, right? If we don't have enough thiamine, uh, we're gonna have issues getting a CoA on and chopping it off. If we don't have enough pentathenic acid, we're not going to be able to keep the glucose in the cell and then we're not going to be able to get it into the mitochondria, uh, right? And then we're not going to be able to turn it into succinyl CoA and all these other things. So I want to, uh, and then, sorry, before we get ahead of ourselves, that's just calories in, right? But the calories in then is also affecting calories out because calories out is how much are you breathing? How much are you moving? How's your temperature outside? Are you shivering? Are you sweating? Is it nice and easy, right? Uh, how much have you slept? What's your hormone regulation looking like? You know, how's your stress levels? How are your hormone levels in general? Are they imbalanced? Are they out of whack? You know, is your test high? Is your cortisol high? Uh, how are your blood lipids? How's your insulin resistance or sensitivity you know, what is your resting heart rate? What's your muscle mass? What's your lean? Oh, you know, what's your fat mass levels at? All of these things are going to impact, um, you know, our calories out portion, which is almost more, I would say more complicated and has more moving parts than the calories in portion. Cause that really comes down to macronutrient ratio and then nutrient density, which is how many vitamins and minerals are, they're present, right? Like per meal and per day. Are we meeting? Are we exceeding our levels? Are we not getting to, are we staying above where we need to, above the RDA, yet also not hitting the upper limits that's of what's deemed safe? So that's calories in, calories out. And the next thing I want to tell you guys is just a little bit of information about these two really critical hormones to primarily most people look at them as blood sugar wise. Uh, but they are pretty much responsible for anabolism and catabolism as a whole. They are definitely not the sole 
solely responsible for these two pathways, but they do play a large influence in turning that dial from, you know, building an anabolism to breaking down and catabolism. Uh, if you guys want a quick uh, mnemonic for that, catabolism to me always sounds like catastrophe. And usually if there's catastrophe, things have been broken. So a natural disaster, an earthquake, a flood, but we're breaking things down and we have to build them back up. And anabolism is like anabolic steroids. Uh, so Arnold Schwarzenegger and anabolism, whatever that is, going, however that is going to help you. But the two hormones we're going to be talking about are insulin and its opposite, glucagon. Now, insulin, you guys can think of as it builds everything. It tells muscles to synthesize. It tells glycogen to be stored. Uh, it tells your glucose that's in your blood to get into your cells. And it also tells your fat cells to start storing uh, extra fats from the blood into the fat cells, right? So it is a truly and purely anabolic hormone. Now, what's also interesting is it's is it is at the exact same time, while it's an anabolic hormone, it's also an anti-catabolic hormone, which means it's going to down-regulate or decrease the rates of protein degradation, of, of lipolysis, of glycogenolysis, right, of glycolysis of all muscle protein degradation, right? All of these things, all of these breakdown pathways are going to be slowed and reduced. They're never going to be stopped. It's kind of like a seesaw where one goes up, one comes down. And so insulin is going to say, build, 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 which means at the same rate, things are going to slowly stop breaking down. It's going to be, all right, the more we build, the less you can break down. Now, and when are we going to get an insulin release? Okay, primarily it's going to come at two times and then there's going to be a third time that's kind of just like a steady state. So the first time we're going to get an insulin release is typically uh, whenever we have a blood sugar spike. The most common one is whenever we eat food. Now, you guys may have heard of something called a glycemic index and that is the degree to which blood sugar spikes given a predetermined amount of a certain type of food, right? This is often characterized in carbohydrates, but this happens with every single food you eat, whether it be purely fats, purely protein, purely carbs, or a mix. Um, all of them are going to have different uh, glycemic indexes. Now, the cool thing is that if you eat one food that has a really high glycemic index, uh, and then you eat it with some either some protein, some fat, or some fiber, or all three of those, you can actually really uh, reduce the overall or the average glycemic index of that meal. And that's because the protein, the fat, and the fiber are actually going to slow down the release of that carbohydrate into the GI, which means it's going to slow down the release into the bloodstream, which really is where all this glycemic index all these numbers come from. It is this food in isolation and it given in this predetermined amount, how much is that going to cause glucose to rise, which then means how much is insulin going to rise. Now in a healthy person, we should have pretty uh, almost mirrored effects of glucose in the blood or blood sugar and insulin levels. So 
we have a normal range of about 70 to 90 or really they say 100 uh, deciliters per liter or decigrams per liter. Uh, no, 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 it's milligrams per deciliter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 70 to 100 de milligrams per deciliter. So that is 70 milligrams per 100 milliliters mLs of blood. And basically that just tells us how much sugar is circulating around your body. Now, once we get above that, especially after a meal, we our body wants to remain in balance, right? It loves this thing called homeostasis. Uh, and so it, it's going to really try to stay in this homeostatic level. It wants to be very zen and it doesn't like being pulled too much in any one direction. It wants to um, stay nice and centered. So what then it's going to do to counteract this sudden rise in glucose is it's going to send out a rise in insulin. Now, the bigger and the sharper the rise of glucose is, the same bigger and the sharper the rise of insulin is. So this is going to cause then the insulin is going to tell the cells around the body to take in glucose, which means the blood sugar is going to drop back down to baseline. Now, sometimes if we have a really fast digesting carbohydrate, let's say a piece of chocolate, a piece of candy, or if you're a lifter, you've probably heard of the Rice Krispie pump. Um, this can actually, we could get a bit of a double whammy because the second time we tend to see a spike in blood sugar, we don't always see a spike in insulin here. Uh, don't, we generally don't actually is during exercise. And that is because during exercise, our body is using, especially high intensity exercise or rather intense or long duration exercise, our body is burning up so much of the muscle glycogen. We have a uh, another hormone that we'll talk about next called glucagon that tells the liver to say, hey, send out more sugar into the blood so that the muscles can soak it up. All right. And that is how our, you're able to run a marathon, uh, do an Ironman, hike all day, walk all day, is because while our muscles might be low, our body has backup stores. Now, I talked about this double whammy, and that is because, again, insulin is going to be secreted whenever we generally have a rise in blood sugar. Well, if we eat something that's a super fast digesting carb, and then we are also, or right before we're going to exercise, we could get a double whammy or a double big spike of insulin. And this is because we have two things now that are dumping sugar into the blood, raising the blood sugar even higher than would it be if we were just doing one of those two. Now on the flip side, right, I just mentioned that, uh, during exercise, glucagon tells the liver to release glucose. Now, what is glucagon? Glucagon is the exact opposite of insulin. So it is a truly catabolic hormone, which means it is telling everything to break down. It is telling glycogen to break down. It's telling fat to break down. It's telling muscle to break down. And it is a anti-anabolic hormone, which means it's telling muscles to stop building. It's telling uh, liver glycogen and muscle glycogen to stop replenishing themselves. It's telling fats to not add any more triglycerides to the cell, right? To stay the same or to shrink. 
And so each of these hormones, while one is anabolic and one is catabolic, they also stop the other side of the spectrum from happening, right? And this is how uh, we can't theoretically or metaphorically press on the gas and the brakes at the exact same time, right? If you were to do that in your car, it would be really not so good. And our body is kind of the same way. If we were to break down everything and try and build it all back up at the same time, we would probably end up just turning into a puddle of jello, right? And a puddle of just mushrooms, which would not be good. And so glucagon is actually going to have a very critical role. And so we're going to open up beta oxidation because one of the things that glucagon does is it mobilizes triglycerides and fats. Okay. Now this is really important because if you guys noticed last time we talked, we always talk about like muscle glycogen and liver glycogen. That is because these are the two storage spots where they are. And we also, when we talk about muscle glycogen, we also know that the muscles are very stingy and very selfish with their glycogen, meaning no other tissue other than that muscle is able to utilize that glycogen. So let's say your front delt, your anterior deltoid gets crazy long glycogen because you did a thousand front raises, but your quad or your even your big toe has plenty of glycogen. Unfortunately, it's not going to, and it can't send a loan of glycogen up to your anterior deltoid so that it can free up it's going to then have to either stop working, which is likely to happen, or it's going to have to dip into a more primarily fat source of energy. Now, with this other thing, guys, I want to talk about something called a RQ or a respiratory quotient. It can also be, there's something similar called an RER, respiratory exchange ratio. They're a little bit different, but we're not gonna go into the difference today. Uh, today, we're just gonna use them interchangeably. So RER is basically, and RQ is basically the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide in the air that you exhale. And it's compared to the air that you inhale. So really, we're going to take in, uh, you wear a mask for this, right? And this mask is then going to measure what air you're inhaling. So which is primarily oxygen and then nitrogen and a couple other things. All we care about is the, uh, the oxygen. And then as soon as we exhale, it's going to, again, measure the ratios of <clears throat> oxygen to carbon dioxide. And this is going to give us the RQ. All right. So the lower end of the spectrum, about 0.6 to 0.7, means we are burning primarily fat. Uh, if we are at about a 0.8, we are burning protein, which is a very rare occurrence. And then when we're at about a 0.9 to a 0.11, we are burning carbohydrates. Now, if you guys know anything about ratios, you really can't go above one. Uh, but in this case, it means <clears throat> what this tells us is that we are offloading, we are exhaling more carbon than what we have burned up. All right. And so this is essentially where the epoch or the exercise post oxygen consumption uh, narrative comes from is because, and this is also how you test for a VO2 max is to know that we are offloading more than what we are burning. Uh, and when we do that, we 
mess with the pH of our body. And when the pH of our body gets messed up, our enzymes in our body have a really, really hard time working. And that's if the pH goes too high or it goes too low. Typically in exercise, we have the opposite problem where it's going to go too low. But if we're hyperventilating, we have the opposite problem exercising and it's going to go too high as we exhale carbon dioxide because uh, that's going to represent the degree of acid in our body at some, you can make correlations to that. Not necessarily causation, but it's some level of correlation. All right. So what does glucagon have to be important in this? Well, when glucagon is released, our body is never, like I said, it's on a seesaw, except the seesaw is never, one end is never going to touch the ground, right? Neither end is never going to touch the ground. And what I mean by that is we are never, ever going to burn 100% fat or 100% carbohydrates. And for sure, we're never going to burn 100% protein. It will always be some mix of the two. Now, generally speaking, uh, an all-out sprint is going to be when we are burning primarily glucose and carbohydrates. Uh, we can actually get really, really high percentage of it. Uh, where we're burning just carbohydrates, which is how we're able to get that RQ above 1.0. And sorry about that, guys. Need a little oxygen myself, I see. Uh, what were we saying? RQ, oxygen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we're also never going to be burning 100% fat. Generally speaking, fat is used for lower intensity exercises uh, and carbohydrates are used for high intensity exercises, right? A real quick recap on what we've already covered in terms of energy expenditure and what fuel source. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, but we haven't gone in depth. Uh, so the fastest one, right, which is when we just start going Let's say like you get up out of a chair or you start a sprint or you start lifting up your weights or you do your first pose in yoga. We're going to be using our creatine phosphate pathway. And you guys might recognize this because creatine is a pretty common supplement. In fact, it's actually probably the most common prescribed and for sure the most commonly studied and the safest supplement on the market especially creatine monohydrate, that one would definitely be the best. Uh, that is going to sustain us for about zero to probably 10 seconds. Uh, and then from, you know, 10 to 20 seconds all the way up to, we'll say an arbitrary about five minutes, we're going to be in glycolysis. Uh, and then, you know, from about five to maybe 10 minutes or so, we're going to be uh, go from anaerobic glycolysis to aerobic glycolysis. And if you guys remember, anaerobic is that first step of glycolysis. So we're just in the cytoplasm and the end goal is pyruvate. Okay. And then aerobic glycolysis is once that pyruvate then turns into acetyl-CoA and enters the mitochondria where it then goes through the TCA and the electron transport cycle and creates a whole boatload of energy, all right? But what happens after that? Because we really didn't go too far in depth 
with that. So what happens after that? Well, guys, that is actually when we start to dip into our fat reserves. We'll start to utilize more of our bodily fat for energy. Uh, and this is generally going to be from, I would say, 30 minutes. You know, actually, I'd say probably like 15 minutes all the way out to, honestly, infinity. As long as you're alive, you can be burning fat. All right, I got to take a sip here real fast. I don't know if you guys peep the hat I'm wearing, but we got B&J Evergreen here. Is that what it says? Yeah, B&J Evergreen. Ooh, look at this hair. Ain't that sexy, huh? Actually, it don't look too bad for hat hair. Um, But I've been working at a Christmas tree lot, so I've been out in the cold all day and talking to people, yelling at people. It's not doing my voice any good. But that's besides the point because we got a podcast to do. Um, so, yeah. And then that is really what we're going to be doing. And I want to bring it back to this conversation about carbohydrate metabolism. And you guys will understand this in just a second uh, once we get this drawing done. In fact, let me... Ooh, wrong button. Let me make this a little bit easier here so that we can explain this. Oh, a a. There we go. Uh, but really, guys, whatever we're using, the main thing is that we are going to be in a caloric deficit. Okay, so back again to the concept of calories in, calories out. So if we want to gain weight, we have to ingest more calories than what we're burning. If we want to maintain weight, we have to ingest an equal amount of calories as those we're burning. And if we want to lose weight, we have to ingest less than what we're burning. Or said another way, we have to burn more than we ingest, okay? Now, we talked about glucagon, and that glucagon uh, breaks down and does what's called mobilizing fat, all right? Now, and this is kind of where we're going to explain a little bit as to why you can't spot reduce uh, and that's because really, guys, fat is stored from all over and it is not also it is not locally used. So because fat is stored in its own cell type, right, it's stored in adipocytes or fat cells and they're stored all over the body. They're stored subcutaneously, which means between the skin and the muscles. That's that jiggly stuff that nobody likes. But we have a second kind of fat called visceral fat, which is stored internally. It is in our abdominal cavity, and that is around our organs. Uh, this is typically the unhealthy fat. And this is also where we get shapes of people, whether somebody is an apple or a pear. Uh, it's much healthier to be a pear than it is to be an apple in terms of body shape which means it's better to hold your weight in that dump truck hopefully you've been building doing all those squats and deadlifts than it is in that power belly uh, that you say you use to lift up those heavy rocks in your strongman competitions. Guys, a dump truck always wins. You should build one and be proud of a dump truck. So how does it work, right? So glucagon is really interesting because let's say we're exercising, for example, and we've been going for about an hour, you know, hour and a half maybe. And our muscle glycogen is starting to run a little low. Uh, and we just can't quite keep up. And our body's like, yo, what do we do? Like we need to dip into another energy source so that we can stretch out this glycogen. So 
glucagon is released uh, and it's sent into the blood and basically it goes all over the body and tells us to start dipping in energy. Now, if you guys take a biochemistry class, you'll probably first learn that glucagon takes or tells the liver to release glucose, right? To do a process called glycogenolysis, which is the breakdown of glycogen, right? So glycogen and then lysis. Lysis meaning to split or to cut. Um, and then, but it also, what they fail to mention, at least the first time you go through biochemistry and physiology, is that it also tells your fat cells to start breaking down triglycerides, right? So normally uh, our adipocytes hold a whole bunch of triglycerides. You can think of them as hoarders. Anything extra that they can scavenge up, they want to. And we can think of glucagon as basically the cleaning crew coming out and being like, all right, we're going to tackle the porch today, or we're going to tackle the back bedroom, or we're going to tackle the living room. And they start just throwing out all this stuff, right? But really what they do is they're not just taking it from one room, is they're taking it from all over the house. And this is the same way that we're going to be taking it from all over our body, all right? So we can't, and this is why you can't necessarily spot, treat, fat loss it just happens systemically because from there right wherever that fat came from whether it's your big toe your right butt cheek or your left nipple or you know your right ear lobe um front back doesn't matter wherever it came from it first has to then go into the blood and then from the blood it can then be transported into the appropriate tissue where that energy is needed and once we do this this is where we're actually going to <clears throat> um, get the fat breakdown and it's going to then be used for energy. And if we have that enough, right, if that ratio of breakdown is higher than the ratio of building, so if catabolism is higher than anabolism, we're going to then lose weight and hopefully we lose fat. All right, so real quick, we're just going to go over beta oxidation. So we did the first part, which is fat mobilization. Basically, guys, our body has to tell us that we need more energy than what is available. Uh, and so that is going to release glucagon, which is going to then raise blood sugar and blood lipids. And both of these compounds are then going to be utilized for energy. All right. So I got some pre-drawn stuff. Oh, this is hard to see. I apologize about that, guys. But anyways, if you see this line here, this is going to, we're pretending this is our fat cell. Uh, and then all these super bright things here, basically this one is just telling us it's glucagon. But we have this guy right here. This is really important. It kind of looks like a backwards E. This is our triglyceride. So this is where the primarily source of fats are stored in our body right we have a glycerol backbone which is one two three carbons and then we have these three side chains which are fatty acids okay so glucagon is going to come in is then going to liberate that off and we're going to be left with this top guy right here all right so this is a triglyceride all right, this is going to go into the blood. It's going to travel to whatever tissue needs it. Let's say it is, you know, I don't know, the right bicep because you're doing a million bicep curls. 
once it gets into the cell, right? So we're going to go into the blood and then from the blood, it's going to be absorbed into the cell. We're actually going to have some uh, lipolysis go on. And we have this, there's a couple steps. I'm going to be skipping them today just to let everybody kind of follow along, right? But we're basically going to have this glycerol backbone. So the three carbons, which if you guys are listening, that might trigger something uh, of three carbons of another molecule. And then we're going to have these three chains of a whole bunch of carbons. And that's what these zigzags are. So each bend in this zigzag on all of these is going to be a carbon. So again, this is a carbon. That's a carbon. That's a carbon. That's carbon. That's carbon. And so forth. Now, we are going to then go ahead and isolate this one carbon. All right. And now if you guys notice, we have however many uh, bends in this, right? And how we name these fatty acids, right? Whether it be an omega-3, an omega-6, uh, steric acid, palmatial acid, oleic acid, linoleic acid, linolenic acid, all of these different fatty acids. All that means is it's going to depend on two things. One, the number of of carbons that it's in, right? Whether it's, and there there's different nomenclature for this, whether it's like C16, C18, C8, C4, um, C25, right? All of these different things. Uh, and then two, it's going to depend on, well, I guess it's three things. How many double bonds, if there are any, and three, where those double bonds are, okay? So in most things, if we look at the omega, right? So omega-3 and omega-6, uh, we're talking about this end here. And this is the carboxylic acid end, or excuse me, the meth, yeah, the methyl end. And then so omega-3 is we're going to be one, two, three carbons back. So that double bond would be taking place right there in that one that's now kind of worn away. Uh, so what we do next is we're actually going to break one of these bonds. Boom. And we're going to have this bad boy right over here. Right. So if you guys can't see, this is two carbons. We'll make this a little bit more obvious. One carbon, two carbons, and they are bridged together here. Now, we have a little bit of a sneak peek here. Right. So we have a little bit of the rest of that and what does this look like what is this right so we have one two and then a coa acetyl coa right so we are actually going to be taking all of these fatty acids they're breaking down right so we're going to liberate them with some glyc uh, glucagon they're going to go into the blood they're going to go into whatever tissue they need whether that be the heart the muscle the liver you know the right toe whatever needs the fat they're going to have some lipolysis go on and then we're going to have a free fatty acid, which is an FFA, free fatty acid. Uh, and that fatty acid is then going to have a couple more enzymes work on it to create acetyl or acetyl, right? And then this acetyl is going to make its way into the mitochondria, which is these blue lines here. And it's going to have a CoA bounded to it, right? Co a bam all right and then look at this what does this look like the tca cycle exactly so this acetyl coa 
is going to go through the TCA cycle. Well, guys, we spent a whole freaking hour and a half episode on, and a good chunk of that was on the TCA cycle, right? Because after that, uh, then it goes into the electron transport chain. You know, we pass all the electrons on, <laughs> right? Let's see. We got 2NADH, or like 3, and we got 1FADH2, you know, and we're going to travel these, and they go up here, and over there, and up here, and back, and then boom, and we get lots of this, same thing, right? Like, we got all of this going on, guys, and before that, right, if we have another pathway in, we have glucose goes to pyruvate goes to acetyl-CoA. Right? This is glycolysis, right? This pathway right here, this one right here. And then, oh, but wait, we have lipolysis enters in right here. This is acetyl-CoA spot, which then we go through the TCA cycle all of these bad boys come through the electron transport chain. Well, hold on. What about what about proteins? Proteins can be fed into here, and specifically amino acids. So it's not ever going to be whole proteins. So if anybody ever says you use protein for energy, first off, they're wrong. Uh, partly. We use amino acids for energy, just like we don't use a whole cookie right, or a whole gram or a whole molecule of glucose or a whole triglyceride at the same time for energy, we don't do that with proteins. We break them down first into the building blocks. So, guys, I know this part was pretty quick, but I want you to realize that all of these are ending up right here at acetyl-CoA, right, and then protein or amino acids are coming in during the TCA cycle to create these two bad boys right here. NADH and FADH2. And these two is where we're really going to create all the money. But look at that. We have glucose, fats, right, coming in systemically, and proteins all coming in essentially to this acetyl-CoA spot. Now, what does this have in common that we talked about earlier? It's just two freaking carbons, right? Now, protein is much harder because, A, we have to break it up into amino acids, uh, and then we can put it into the TCA cycle at varying steps. And really, it's hard to be burned because only certain amino acids can ever be input into the whoa, TCA cycle. It's not like we can throw all 20 in. So we're not going to be doing that. Also, it's incredibly inefficient for us to do that. Uh, but the other two, carbon and fat, like they both... We're both breaking them down. The whole point of glycolysis and lipolysis at the end of the day really is to create acetyl-CoA. And the more acetyl-CoA we can create, the uh, more energy we're going to be turning out, right, when it's needed. Because if we have a backup of it, this lipolysis pathway can actually go backwards into lipogenesis. So if we have a whole bunch of acetyl-CoA, right, let's say you're just sitting down mowing on some Cheetos or some Taco Bell and you're sitting on your fat butt uh, and you're watching, I don't know, like your 12th episode of Netflix for the day. You got Cheeto dust on your fingers. 
and you know you got a ketchup stain and a grease stain from earlier and you got a whole bunch of acetyl-CoA right because you're super excited in this movie uh, or episode that you're watching but we get all of this buildup of acetyl-CoA and it's not going anywhere well that actually is going to tell our body to back that train up and go the other way and to actually store acetyl-CoA so we're going to have that and then that's not going to be super good because now if we're storing it, we're storing it as triglycerides, which means we're storing it as fat. Uh, and that is how when we are in a caloric surplus, we actually store fat if we're not, uh, if it's not dietary fat. Now, since you guys know that essentially all of this leads to acetyl-CoA, right? And then it all goes out the electron transport chain and creates crap on ATP. And that anything that's burned, we are going to breathe out. You might have a couple questions. Zach, one, how do I get these cycles to turn up faster so I can burn more, right? And two, uh, you may have the question of if I just breathe all of this out and that's how I actually lose the carbon, can I just continue to exhale or do extended exhales forever, right? And so the first one, right, how do we turn this up? We're going to... I'm going to table that for just a minute, and we're going to talk about that here in a second, most of the rest of the episode. Uh, but two, right, can I just breathe out more? Well, actually, yeah, you can. Uh, that's what you do during exercise, and that's the whole point of exercise. That's If you want to know if you're getting to a good intensity, then we need to look at our breathing, right, especially when it comes to fat loss. So the more we're breathing, that means that generally the more intense the exercise is, uh, which means the higher percentage of fat that we're burning. Now, during the actual exercise session, it doesn't matter if we're burning fat or if we're burning carbs. What matters, though, is that we're having a, a relatively labored breathing rate because uh, this tells us that our body is in high demand of carbon dioxide or of, excuse me, ATP, and that we're producing a lot of carbon dioxide. Now, one of the things that we do have to be wary of is that if some people, if we work out too hard, we can actually have a decrease in activity throughout the day. Although for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, that doesn't even matter. In fact, especially when we train in the morning, we have a larger level of activity the rest of the day, which is pretty cool because that means you're kind of getting a double whammy if you train uh, in your day because you're training, you're getting the caloric burn from that but also because you're now going to be more active and have more non-exercise activity burn, we're going to get a double whammy of caloric expenditure. Now, if we do have something to mention uh, is that there's EPOC. And EPOC, as I mentioned earlier, is, is exercise-induced post-oxygen consumption. So this is generally when we're exercising at a high intensity uh, and primarily burning all glucose, almost all glucose right? Where does all the fat go? Because let's say that's the only type of training you do is high intensity, hit cardio, hit weights, hit circuit training, all this super high intensity stuff. And so your, you know, your RQ and your respiratory quotient is readily going to be very high. And you're going to have a lot of oxygen debt to pay up. Well, just like borrowing money, if I borrow this, eventually I'm going to have to pay it back, right? And how we do that with oxygen debt is we're actually just going to upregulate this glycolysis, uh, this anaerobic or this yeah anaerobic glycolysis, 
we're going to crazy upregulate that because we're going to get a lot of energy pretty quick. It's very inefficient. But the epoch comes in is because when we do that, we also create a lot of waste products. Now, we can't just leave them in our body. We actually have to dispel them. And so that is where we have to continue to breathe at an elevated rate because oxygen is like that final step where we dispel all of the carbon and all of the other waste. So guys, that is beta oxidation. Uh, you guys kind of see again how whether we're burning carbs, whether we're burning fat, it all comes down to acetyl-CoA. So really, especially during the exercise session, it doesn't matter. Uh, and two, you guys can kind of see how vitamins and minerals, especially if you guys watched the episode from two weeks ago on glycolysis, uh, are critical for this to happen. Because if we are at a deficit of those, we really can't have any of this happen at all. Um, and if we do, right, like if we're at a deficit of nutrients and calories, will we lose weight? Yes. Is it going to be healthy for us? No. Uh, so we want to be mindful of that. And, but I do want to move on because we're getting a little lengthy onto this step. And I want to talk about how to get into a caloric deficit and uh, maybe some, and then we'll talk about some barriers here. All right. So really at the end of the day, we have two main approaches to this and a kind of a third because it's like a hybrid approach. So option number one is we're just going to cut out our however many calories we want to reach our goal of weight loss per week. So you guys know about 0.5 to 1.5% body weight loss per week is safe and typically sustainable. Uh, 1.5 is definitely a pretty aggressive rate of weight loss, though it can be done. It's going to take a lot of discipline and mental fortitude to stick to. 1% uh, is usually a pretty good measure. And it, it's going to be a little bit more personable for everybody, right? For me, 1% would be 1.6 pounds. 1.5% one, one would be just about 2 pounds. Uh, for one of my clients, 1% is 3 pounds a week, right? And 1.5 is 4.5 pounds per week. So it's all going to vary based on your size, uh, which is nice because then it's uh, more individualized for you. So the, what we want to do is we have to be in some caloric deficit. And again, it all is going to come back to calories in or calories out. And we can pull either side of that equation, right? So either we can ingest fewer calories or we can burn more calories. But really the deficit is created in the difference between calories in and calories out. And on average, we want to aim for roughly a 500 calorie a day deficit that puts us about a pound a week. Uh, for me, I would actually need to be at about a 600 calorie, six to 700 calorie a day deficit if I wanted to do that one and a half uh, or that 1% body weight loss per week and probably a 750 calorie deficit if I wanted to be maybe even a, a thousand calorie deficit if I want to get, you know, two pounds a week or that one and a half percent for me. Um but that's what we need to do. So that's side one, right? That's called, we'll call it the low energy side, low energy intake. The other side is what we're going to call the high energy output. So instead of eating less, we're going to move more. And we can do this a couple of ways. One, you can actually spend more just time moving, 
right? If you aren't a runner, but you're a walker and normally you walk for 10 minutes a day, you could walk for 15 or 20 or 30 minutes a day. You could also, however, though, let's say you don't have a lot of time to spend 30 minutes walking a day. You could thus run for 10 minutes and you would get the same increase roughly uh, because running is so much more intense than walking. Or if you're smart, uh, you could also throw on a weight vest. And now you're basically going to be having to react to weighing. I would recommend probably starting about 10 to 20% of your body weight and then maybe moving up to as much as 30, 40%. Uh, I probably, you know, even 50% if you really wanted to. Uh, that would definitely be somebody who is much more experienced in rucking or carrying your body weight, portion of your body weight on your back. Uh, but that would be the third one, right? Is you could add some sort of weight vest, a backpack, carry a boulder like Cameron Hames. Uh, any of those things are going to be great ways to increase your level act of activity. Uh, you can also do this in the gym as well. You can increase the intensity in the gym. You can increase the volume. Uh, you can do a longer cardio session each day, whatever you really want. And Frankly, the style of training doesn't matter, right? We talked about, you know, lifting weights is probably going to be that creatine phosphate, aerobic and anaerobic glycolysis versus like this long steady state stuff is probably going to be primarily more towards fats and lipids than carbs, but it's not going to be uh, pure there. But really... Guys, it all comes down to carbon so we can do whichever side we want. And if we want to be the most rounded person, we should honestly do a little bit of both, right? We should lift some weights. We should do some mobility training. We should definitely do some cardio training at some point. Um, and that's what that's going to be. Now, if you're quite deep in a cut and you're already fairly lean, this is going to be primarily for people who are potentially competing in a bodybuilding show or who have been dieting for a very long time and cutting weight for a while. Uh, we want to change our training style from a more hypertrophy or muscular endurance style to one of strength. And the reason being is because strength requires your muscles to uh, contract harder, and it also has a lot less damage on your muscles. So we're going to have a high muscle protein synthesis or muscle stimulatory effect with a very low damage score because we're not getting enough calories at too high or too much damage on the muscles, whether that be, you know, metabolic damage where it's a buildup or a lack of oxygen, uh, or that be like mechanical damage where we have micro tears. We can't have too much. And in fact, if we do, that could cause us to lose some muscle instead of just fat. And that's because muscle is very expensive to maintain. So we, our body doesn't want to maintain it unless it has to. Now, this is going to be very important for anybody if you have been, if you're just beginning a cut or if you are deep into a cut. And that is having a high protein diet. Uh, really, your carb to fat ratio does not matter. I could care less uh, if you have primarily carbohydrates, if you have high fats, if you have low fats, high carbohydrates, high carbs, low fat, medium carbs, medium fats. It doesn't matter. I could give two shits 
about it. And here's why, because they're both just forms of carbon. Um, as long as you can stick to it and we're getting the essential nutrients that we need, it doesn't matter and I don't care. Uh, so that's what we really want to do. And how much protein should we have? Well, that's going to be a good goal is one gram per pound of desired body weight. So if you're trying to gain weight, right, you would have, try and have one gram per pound of whatever your end goal weight is. If you're trying to lose weight, right, let's say you're at 200 and you want to get down to 180, you should probably have uh, one, one gram per pound of goal weight. So instead of having 200 grams, you would just have 100 grams and for calories a pretty easy exam easy way to calculate a starting caloric need uh if you want to lose weight and go that first strategy would be to multiply your body weight in pounds times 10 to 13. that's going to give you a range of how many calories you can eat in a day if you want a tighter range you could go 10 to 12. uh as long as you're within that you should by far be hitting your uh, calorie deficit goals for sure. What I would probably recommend doing, honestly, if I were to cut anytime soon, I would probably only cut about 10 to 15% of my maintenance calories. And then the next 10 to 15%, I would try and increase through my exercise. That's just because I like to eat and I want to eat as much as I can. So if I'm moving more, that means I can afford to eat more while still being in a deficit. However, at the end of the day, guys, we're going to have to restrict something in order to achieve that uh, caloric deficit, whether that be the time you eat, whether that be the number of calories you eat, whether that be uh, one of the macronutrient sources, right? Like, let's say you don't eat carbs, you don't eat fat, both which are very stupid. Ah, pardon me. My God. I got freaking pie needles in my shirt dude it make my belly itch goodness gracious but guys that is that so the rest of it what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be i'm going to be blowing your guys excuses out of the water and telling you why they're kind of bullshit and then i'm going to tell you guys some more tips and tricks as to how to uh lose weight without starving yourself all right so what are comment like i'm a personal trainer and a dietitian so a lot of people come to me for losing weight, getting leaner. And when we put them on a plan and we give them, a, you know, like the principles and all that stuff for them to follow, when they don't follow it, typically here's some of the things that they list as to reasons why the plan wasn't stuck to, right? Hunger, social events such as drinking, going out to eat, uh, you know, or Having food brought in is a big one, or frankly, not having healthy food choices uh, is another one. One could be that the food is bland or it doesn't taste good. Uh, poor eating habits that people have, emotional eating, which goes into the next one, which is high levels of stress. And the next one goes into that, which is poor sleep. Uh, this next one, which really I want to talk about is, I don't want to talk about, but I want to mention is cutting too hard too soon. Now, we've talked about metabolic damage, which is where your metabolism crashes uh, or spikes higher or slower than your change in dietary pattern. So generally, this happens with yo-yo dieters, right? They do a hard crash. Their metabolism also does a hard crash. Then they go back to eating normal. They regain the weight super quick, 
Uh, so like, oh yeah, let's diet again. So they do a hard cut, hard crash, metabolic rate drops even further. They go back to eating. They regain the weight even faster than the first time. And this cycle just repeats. Uh, the reason we don't want to go too hard, too fast, uh, primarily has to do with losing muscle mass. If we cut out too many calories too soon, uh, or we increase our energy expenditure too much too soon, what we're going to notice is instead of primarily having a fat loss program, which is what we want, right? We're actually going to get into a muscle loss program. And the reason being is because muscle is expensive. So if calories are a short in short supply, then we need to get rid of the highest user uh, that's using them. And that's going to be muscle mass and muscle tissue because it is very expensive to keep it on. It is a high demanding tissue. And unless you're using it regularly where your body needs it, it's going to find ways to get rid of it because it's just, it's working too hard. Uh, another one again, right, that we just mentioned is previous metabolic damaging, aka yo-yo dieting. Uh, poor time management is a really big one, right? So when it comes to, guys, when it comes to either bulking or trying to lose weight, time management is key, is key because a larger portion of your life is naturally going to be centered around your food, right? It's going to be centered around, especially if you're cutting, oh, did I eat recently? Uh, can I have my next meal yet? If you're bulking, right, it's going to be, okay, it hasn't been three hours so I can eat again or like do I need to eat again to get enough calories for the day, enough protein, all that. Uh, you know, another one is that they like food too much, right? Food's too delicious. So why would I restrict it? Um, it's never worked in the past. That kind of goes back to the yo-yo dieting, right? Where like they've tried tried everything under the sun. Frankly, guys, you're probably just not counting everything correctly or you're eating more than what you think you are. Uh, and the last one, which is the truest of all of these, is it's hard. Yes, it is. Uh, toughen up. Shit's hard. Whether you want to bulk or whether you want to cut, it's going to be uncomfortable. And at some point, it's going to be difficult. Uh, I would say cutting is probably going to be harder than bulking, especially once you get like sub 10% body fat and really sub 8% body fat. Cutting is going to get really, really difficult because it starts fucking with way more of your systems than bulking does. Now, let's go over these, right? So if you're hungry, right, and that's the reason why you're falling off your nutrition plan, you're just too hungry, plan your meal times out, dude, right? If you get, let's say, three meals and your calorie allotment is 2,100, uh, you could do, you know, three meals of 700 calories. You could do... Or you could do six meals of 350 calories or some combination thereof, right? You get to pick what you want. But if you know you get hungry right away in the morning and then you kind of have, you know, uh, you don't get hungry in the middle of the day or until early afternoon and then you eat more of your food in the latter half of the day, that's okay. But you need to know that and you need to plan around that. The other one is sleeping well, both time and quality. This one is important because we need to uh, pretty much the better we sleep, the better our appetite regulation is and our insulin sensitivity. So we're going to be less hungry, though. The caveat with that is once you've been dieting for so long and your body fat is so low, you actually have quite a bit of differences 
between uh, and sleep quality, a lot of disturbances. The other one is a high protein and high vegetable intake. Um, mostly these guys are going to, the high protein is going to increase satiety and it's going to spare your muscle protein. Uh, we're going to have increased muscle protein synthesis. And vegetable intake is we're going to give you guys, your body, all of the raw materials it needs to burn energy. And the great part is they're super low calorie, right? I can have three cups of vegetables and it not be more than 30 calories. Three cups of food for a grand total of 30 calories. Yeah, bro, sign me up. Because once you get into this cut, uh, you're going to realize that volume is king because it's going to keep you fuller longer which means it's going to be easier to get to the next meal. Uh, the other one is going to be increasing your water intake, you know, probably just 75% of your body weight in pounds and ounces. That's a good goal to hit, especially if you're cutting and especially if you are a uh, high-intensity workout exerciser. Right, so the next one, social events. Uh, really, the main thing, guys, is, is this is going to go back to calories in, calories out. So if we're going to be drinking alcohol, uh, count for your alcohol calories in, in your total, right? And I would definitely say probably limit yourself to two or three drinks only. The reason I say two or three is because most people, now obviously you have to know yourself, uh, most people can still make sound decisions and cut themselves off at three, two or three drinks, right? But once you get more than that, I don't care who you are. Uh, you're starting to be impacted by the alcohol and it's going to put you at an ever increasing risk of making a poor decision, right? Whether that is to eat uh, an extra meal, whether that is to go off eating plan and to binge out for a little bit, whether that's just to have two or three pieces of pizza because you drank too much and I got sober up, right? Whatever it is, uh, you make less smart decisions when you're drunk or you're buzzed. Let me tell you, you don't make the greatest decisions, right? Let's move on to going out to eat. All right. So we are going to focus on food items that are high in protein and dense with vegetables. We're going to avoid or limit the amount of breaded items. So if you're getting a chicken sandwich and it the uh it says a breaded chicken sandwich, ask your server if you can get it grilled instead, uh, they almost always will say yes, right? Uh, while you're out eating, I would definitely drink water rather than soda. I still do not care if it's diet soda. Just drink water, right? Or like water with lemon on it or a tea. Um, it's going to help. A, it's going to help your body just flush everything out. B, it's going to keep you fuller longer. And C, you're not getting any extra calories. So it's great. Uh, well, if you're probably going to be tracking your calories, I would estimate them as best as you can. The nice thing is more restaurants are bringing, putting calories onto their menu so you can track them, uh, but not all of them. And honestly, not all of those calorie markers are accurate to the nth degree. It's kind of just like, yeah, this is what should be right. And the last one really for going out to eat would be to, uh, look at the menu beforehand, right? Like go out, look at the menu, know what you're going to order and then stick to that. Uh, Cause I mean, it's just going to be easier that way. Plus then you're not tempted by all the other items that look delicious. If you just stick with your plan.
Now, poor eating habits. Uh, the easiest way to change this is you're going to pick one. You're just going to make one positive choice uh, at one meal every single day. I would definitely pick the same meal for a whole week. And then on week two, you're going to pick a different meal. Right? Let's say that week one, you start with breakfast. Week two, you start with lunch. And week three, you start with dinner. Well, each of those meals, you're going to make one positive nutrition choice, whether that be an add, subtract, or a substitution. That is up to you. Uh, but you need to make a positive nutrition choice at all three meals. And then come week four, you're going to go back and repeat the list. And you're going to make a second positive nutrition choice. And just like that, after literally a month, you've made more than one positive nutrition choice for every single meal uh, the last month, which is pretty cool to say. That's going to add up very quickly. Uh, all right, let's move on to bland food, right? Honestly, guys, just stop sucking it. Stop sucking so much at cooking, right? Learn how to cook. Watch a couple of YouTube videos on it. Get some seasoning, you know, like seasoning's really good. You can make something Cajun. Uh, you can make it Mediterranean, right? You can make it however which way you want. Get some seasonings and know how to use them. Learn how to use them. Uh, another good way with this is take your favorite dishes that maybe aren't so healthy and try and make them healthier. This is going to be, this is a fun time. I love doing this with desserts because I'm a big dessert guy. And the last one for this is honestly buy higher quality food. Uh, if your food is a higher quality, it's going to be generally more nutrient dense, which means it's going to taste better, most likely. Now, poor eating habits. We just talked about that, right? Uh, adding one positive nutrition choice, right? The other one that's next is finding a nutrition practice you can stick to. So we already talked about, especially for fat loss, everything comes down to carbon in, carbon out, right? How much fuel is, are you putting in your tank versus how much are you revving the engine? You know, the more you rev the engine, the higher the output, the sooner you're going to be out of gas. If we just let idle, uh, we're not going to be out of gas for a very long time. But we need to start by adding one positive choice to one meal every single day for a week and then pick a different meal on week two, the last meal on week three, and then you repeat with one of those meals on week four until all of your meals are always all healthy. The other one is really you need to find something that's going to work with you and that you can stick to. And there's all these social media zealots out here saying, Keto's best, carnivore's best, vegan's best, American's best, Mediterranean's best. They all work because they all work on the principle of carbon in, carbon out. That's all it is. It's just which one can you stick to? As long as you're getting enough protein, we are getting enough nutrients, and you're sticking to your caloric goals, I don't care, right? It Frankly, it doesn't matter. Uh, a good rule of thumb for this is Sticking to the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of your calories are coming from healthy choices and 20% is coming from whatever else you want, whether that be unhealthy, uh, whether that be healthy, just 80-20 rule. And being consistent at this really is the big thing, okay? If you have one bad day or one bad meal, who gives a fuck, dude? How many times have you had a bad day in your life just to bounce back and be okay? A lot. All right. So just realize that 
your food is fuel. And if you're just consistently good, right? If you can hit this 80-20 rule every day with every meal, you're going to get everything you ever wanted. And you're still going to get the body you want. You're going to have all the great things that come along with that. Now, the next one is emotional eating. Uh, Really, this one is just about preparing yourself when you're frustrated, you're angry, you're alone, you're tired. uh, And really, whenever you have high levels of emotions, particularly negative emotions tend to be pretty bad for this. So one thing that's going to help is improving your sleep quality. Uh, It's recommended that that reduces the emotional volatility of people. Uh, I would recommend talking to a close friend, a relative, uh, maybe, or maybe even a therapist if you don't have too many of those that you feel you can talk to about this topic. Uh, the other one, honestly, guys, I, I would actually take some time. It could literally be five minutes a day. And just take it for yourself. Do five minutes of breathing, five minutes of cleaning your room, whatever. All right. The next one is stress. Guys, we got tons of help for this. We got hot showers. We got yoga. Again, we got high quality sleep. We got meditation. We got good conversation, good tasting food, right? Accomplishing your goals. All of these things are going to help you reduce your stress. Now, uh, sleep, we've been talking a lot about this. So I've been taught, I wanted to bring this in. Right. Having a nighttime and a morning routine are huge. Right. So doing the same things in the night as you do in the morning, it's going to give your body consistency and your body's going to know what's what. Uh, Cooling your room down to about 65 degrees, if you can tolerate that, is going to be phenomenal. You're going to get uh, better sleep and deeper sleep. Next would be to eliminate as much light as possible at least an hour before bed. And yes, that does include your cell phone. In fact, that's probably the next one, which is charging your cell phone outside of your bedroom or far away from the nightstand. You don't need to use it as an as an alarm clock. That's a bullshit excuse. Go buy a real one. They're literally $12 at Walmart or Target. Uh, if you can't afford $12, friend, you got bigger problems. So you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Anyways, you should be figuring out how to afford $12. Uh, The other one is getting sunlight in your eyes within an hour of waking. I would definitely suggest at least 5 to 20 minutes. Uh, It's going to depend really on how much cloud cover it is. And that needs to actually be outside, not just through a window. Glasses are okay. Sunglasses, not okay. Uh, Through a window, like if you're driving to work, doesn't work the same. Uh, The other one is ceasing eating two to three hours prior to sleep and ceasing, stopping drinking water at least an hour, if not two or three uh, hours before sleep is going to be really good too. All right, next, let's talk about cutting too hard too quickly. So this is going to reduce your caloric intake or excuse me, your caloric energy expenditure. So your basal metabolic rate, your resting metabolic rate is going to go down which means you're going to have to cut even more calories in order to stay in that caloric deficit. Uh, This is also going to uh, make you more hungry. It's going to dysregulate your hormones more. And really, we're going to burn a lot more muscle than we do fat, which isn't a good sign, right? So if we're doing a cut, typically that's to burn fat, not muscle. 
because uh, muscle is good and fat. Well, most people just don't like it so much. Alrighty. Uh, the other thing that I would definitely do is starting slowly, just five or ten percent, ten or fifteen percent of your maintenance calories is a great place to start, uh, and then adjusting about by about five percent if you haven't had any progress in I would say three weeks. Uh, if it's been three weeks and you still haven't had any progress, I would say adjust in five percent. Uh, and then every once in a while, probably about every four to six weeks, you want to implement a refeed week. And what this does really is it's not about gaining muscle. It's not about uh, gaining fat. It's really about dietary adherence and minimizing this metabolic damage. All right. Now, we're not, this does not mean refeed, does not mean going crazy at a buffet. All right, that's not what it means. Uh, it means going back up to maintenance, which is probably uh, what you were at the week before you went up is what I would just go back up to. So raise your calories. Instead of cutting them 15%, raise them 15% to the previous week's numbers and you should be okay. All right, metabolic damage. Uh, basically, what it means is your metabolic metabolism is slower than what it should be. Uh, so heart, because of routine and repeated rounds of harsh caloric restriction, will you lose weight with that? Yes. Do you gain fat faster back? Yes. How do we fix this? Start slowly. Really actually just start slowly. Don't do a giant cut and be like, I'm going to do this for a week or I'm going to do this for a month or I'm going to do this for a year. Yeah. No, you're not. Uh, I guarantee you, you're probably not. So start slow. And if you don't see uh, progress, only adjust it by about 5%. All right. There's no need to drop, you know, 20% per week or anything like that. Uh, that is, it's unnecessary. It's not needed. So let's go on to the next one, which is poor time management. And really, guys, it's pretty simple. Learn how to manage your time. Get a calendar and use it. Stick to the plan. You know, plan out the week and review the next day, the night before. Uh, set yourself up for success the next morning or the night before, you know. Uh, and that is by setting the conditions for success. I'm a lazy person naturally, and I'm very lazy in the morning. I'm just not awake. I don't have the energy. So when I set out my clothes, I have my bag ready. I have the coffee set up. Hell, even if I can prep a little bit of my breakfast, I am so much better at doing my stuff than if I just leave it to chance, right? Like a hundred percent better. The less I have to think, especially in the morning, mm, so much better. Uh, all right. The next one is I like food too much. Honestly, bro, learn some self-control. Like there's not a whole lot I can tell you other than you need to just learn how to control yourself. Uh, the next one is it's never worked in the past. Frankly, you just did it wrong. If you follow the protocol correctly and you actually only ate the number of calories, either it was a miscalculation on calories or you actually didn't log everything perfectly uh, and you're eating more than what you thought. That's pretty much what it is. You just got to, anything that goes in your mouth, you got to log. It could be water. It could be food. It could be butter. It could be a sauce. It could be, you know, a single graham cracker or a single uh, goldfish, a single M&M, &M, a single fry. 
log it, bro. It's only going to help give you more information. All right, I'm very thirsty, so I apologize. Actually, I don't. I need water, so fuck you if you didn't like it. <laughs> uh, the last one for the reasons is it's hard. Yeah, it is. And this is what you signed up for. So tough luck, I guess. Get a helmet. Uh, try harder. Yeah, it is hard, and it's going to be hard. So let us continue on and wrap this episode up with, which is how do we lose fat without starving? Now, if you guys listen to all of the excuses, I covered a lot of this uh, just then, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into it. All right. We're going to give you guys a little bit more crystal clear, uh, I guess, mechanistic things you could refer to as. So the first one is find your maintenance calories. I would, whether you're male or female, uh, if you want to get the official, excuse me, official resting, oh my goodness, maintenance, use the Mifflin St. Gior. Uh, the other way, the really fast way, is calculate your body weight in pounds by uh, 15 to 17. If you get that, like that should be, this is assuming you're active, Okay. Uh, it should be about 15 to 17. And then from there, we're going to reduce our calories 10%. So let's say you're at 2,500 calories for maintenance, which is usually about where I am. Uh, I would then reduce that by 10% to, to uh, by 250 calories. So I'd be at 2,250 calories. Uh, if you're starting to notice that it's getting difficult to continue to lower that, right or go from there then uh once we do that so we have this initial 10 percent cut then every week from there what we're going to do is we're going to cut an additional five percent uh this is going to ensure that as our metabolism slows we're still consuming fewer and fewer calories and that we're burning body fat at a relatively uh quick rate next what we're also going to do is at the same time we're going to increase our expenditure 10 to 20%. So if you normally expend, you know, 2,500 calories, I need you to get up to 2,750 or even 3,000. Uh, this is going to give us that deficit, right? Where we're burning more than what we're eating. If we're at, if we burn 3,000, we only consume, you know, 2,250. Now we have a 750 calorie deficit right off the bat, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then again, like I said, we want to implement a refeed week every four to six weeks. If you're feeling like you're on a roll, uh, I would maybe go eight every eight weeks, right? You could do a refeed week, but I would say probably every four to six weeks is going to help a lot with adherence uh, and minimizing any metabolic damage. Now, how do we actually calculate a refeed week? Um so if we're going down by between 5 and 10% in our calories every week, what we want to do is let's say we're at 2,000 calories. Well, we're going to increase that uh, to ten by 10% to get the previous week's calories of 2,200, right? And this gives us the opportunity to, one, not be in such a caloric deficit, uh, and two, it we feel good because we get some extra food and 
you know, we can probably maintain some muscle, uh, add on a little bit of muscle during that time. And pretty much it's just, it's going to reduce dieting fatigue. The next one is drinking water pre-meal. So drinking six or eight to 16 ounces before you eat, I would suggest probably like 15 to 30 minutes prior to eating is going to fill up your stomach and uh, you're going to feel fuller sooner, which means you're going to hopefully eat less. Uh, also, again, same with going out. We want to focus on a diet high in protein and high in vegetables. So uh, for protein, we're going to do one gram per pound of whatever your goal body weight is. So again, if you're 180 and you want to get down to 150, you should feed the goal weight, aka 150. If you're 300 and want to get down to 200, you should probably feed the member or like the level of 200. Okay. And then for vegetables, I would recommend at bare minimum five servings. Uh, if not closer to 10 would be great. These are super low calorie, almost all of them. Even the starchy ones are relatively low calorie, which is nice. And they take up a lot of bulk. So you're going to be full. Uh, and they're very low calorie, which means you can easily stick to your plan. The other one, guys, is eating foods that you enjoy. If you don't enjoy the foods that you're eating, it's only a matter of time for the vast majority of people to break that cycle and to binge. And either what happens is they uh, don't do anything or they get worse, right? Next would be sleeping at least seven hours. I would say a very, very, very hard minimum of six. Uh, but ideally, if we can get seven hours, that would be great. Another one is chewing gum if you're hungry outside of your meal times. Increasing activity more than you reduce your calories intake. Easy way to do this is throw on a weighted vest, a ruck, or a backpack and go for a walk. It is awesome. There is somebody who... Did that, they threw on a 45 pound vest and they went for an hour walk and they lost 19 pounds. Uh, that worked for them. And you definitely could increase your caloric expenditure by doing that. And which the next leads me into the next one. Find a plan you genuinely think you can maintain for a whole year. And the reason I do this is because it's about consistency rather than intensity. I can get you to lose 10 pounds in 72 hours you're gonna hate me you're gonna hate life and you're for sure gonna hate yourself for going through it but you will be down 10 pounds okay but to lose 10 pounds and to keep it off that's going to take a lot more discipline and willpower in fact you're going to have to become a different person to some degree all right next one is eating healthy options first uh, that is pretty much easiest. They tend to be the most nutrient dense. And as long as we get those in first, uh, that's good. Cause that means we have all the building blocks and we're loading our body up on those and we're minimizing the amount of just kind of extra food or getting too full and then not eating them. The other one is setting a goal of losing anywhere from 0.5 to 1.5% body weight per week. Uh, I would also take a five-minute walk every one or two hours, especially post-mealtime. is going to help uh, that energy get into your muscles and store as glycogen instead of being circulated and stored as fat. The other one, 
is, and the last one is taking time each day. And I really do mean 10 to 30 minutes. If you can find 10 to 30 minutes, I don't care who you are. It can be right before bed or right when you wake up. But do that to manage your stress, man. You can meditate, do breath work, hot shower or hot tub. You can yoga. You can stretch. You can do a light walk. You can do a cup of coffee. Time with loved ones. Prep for the next day. Honestly, time to do nothing. But I think it is very important that we take care of ourselves and that we stay on our grind. So doing that daily is where we're going to get the most bang for our buck. Now, guys, today, since we were talking about it, I want to give you a a great recipe that can actually help you lose weight. Uh, Oh, before that, though, the other one that you guys can do is since we know that what kind of diet plan we eat doesn't matter as long as we're not exceeding our caloric needs when we're getting enough protein and fruits and vegetables that carbs and fat don't really matter. Uh, also that we lose fat by breathing. So at some point we got to get our breath work up and we got to burn more than we ingest or we got to ingest less than what we burn. Or as I'm suggesting, we may as well do some combination of both. Now, if you guys are looking for somebody to help you with all this, you can send me a DM at on Instagram at Kanadi underscore fit or an email at psyched up fitness. And I would love to help you with this guys. It is new year's. And actually we are going to be launching me and my business partners. Uh, Sean are going to be launching a new year's weight loss challenge. I've been waiting to give this out to you guys because we've been getting the final works in the books but I want to tell you guys about it. It is a bet against yourself challenge. So you put a little bit of money in and then as soon as you lose the weight, right? If you lose the desired amount of weight, uh, then you actually win all the money back and the challenge is free. So it's pretty cool. Uh, If you win, it's free and you got a huge momentum boost on your new year and you finally got in shape or closer to it and you finally followed through with what you said you were going to do. Now, in terms of the recipe, it's quite a simple one. All right. So I want you guys to close your eyes and we're going to set up for our morning coffee. Okay. So I want you guys to get out your favorite coffee mug. Uh, I want you to get out your best coffee. I want you to fill up your coffee maker with water. Make sure that that is nice and full right to the maximum fill line, maybe even a millimeter or two over. Shh, don't tell anybody I said that. And you're going to brew your coffee. And you're going to drink it and you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be black coffee. It's going to be great. But guys, that is the show. Okay. That is the recipe. Just straight up black coffee, zero calories, caffeine. So it's going to give you energy. Uh, It can actually be an appetite suppressant, which is pretty cool. But that is the episode guys. That is how to lose fat without starving. Uh, There was a lot of information in there. I really hope it was, uh, personable, understandable, and you guys enjoyed it. If you guys found this episode useful, thought-provoking, it was a good message. Uh, you just thought it was good information, guys. In about 30 seconds, I'm going to shut shut up and get off this thing. I need you to start using it right then, okay? And if you're already doing that or you want to add a second thing, it's tell somebody about it, man. Help us grow our community. Help us grow our family. 
of people who are trying to change the world by first changing themselves, right? That is all the podcast is about, guys. Uh, and then lastly, guys, I just I really want to say thank you to those of you who have been listening, whether it be sure for a short while, for a long while. It means a lot. And I want to express my gratitude to you because uh, this show takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of energy and effort to put together a good episode. And I want you guys to know that I'm very appreciative uh, for those of you who listen and for those of you who follow and very appreciative to you for those of you who communicate with me about the show. Uh, whether you like it or whether you think it can improve, I want to hear all of it and everything all the time, all day. So, guys, with that, that is the show. You now should have a pretty solid toolbox on how to burn fat without starving and to be a badass while you do it because summer is going to be here sooner than we think. And if I were you, I would want those washboard abs popping just as much. Now, guys, with that, I'm out. Make sure you guys keep kicking ass, taking names, and most importantly, earn your good day. Oh, oh, oh.